0: Why don't you, if you've got a Bible uh, in a paper version or digital version or whatever version you've got, open up to Romans chapter 8. And we're going to get straight into Romans 8. Let me read. Uh, this is, have you got it there? Yep. Okay, here we go. We're going to read through verse 1 to 17 and, uh, and then I'll, I'll start preaching on it. Here we go. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because through Christ Jesus, the law of the spirit of life set me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law was powerless to do in that it was weakened by the sinful nature, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful man to be a sin offering and so he condemns sin in sinful man, in order that the righteous requirements of the law might be fully met in us, who do not live according to the sinful nature, but according to the Spirit. Those who live according to the sinful nature have their minds set on what uh, that nature desires, but those who live according, in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. The mind of the sinful man is death, but the mind controlled by the Spirit is life and peace. The sinful mind is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Those controlled by the sinful nature cannot please God. You, however, are not controlled by the sinful nature, but by the Spirit, if the Spirit of God lives in you. And if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ he does not belong to Christ but if Christ is in you your body is dead because of sin yet your spirit is alive because of righteousness and if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you he who raised Christ from the dead will also give you give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who lives in you therefore brothers we have an obligation but it's not to the sinful nature to live according to it For if you live according to the sinful nature, you will die. But if you live by the Spirit, you put to death the misdeeds of the body, and you'll live. Because those who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God, or children of God. For you did not receive a spirit that makes you a slave again to fear, but you received the Spirit of Sonship. And by Him we cry, Abba, Father... The Spirit Himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in His sufferings, in order that we may also share in His glory. Romans chapter 8 is considered by many to be the greatest chapter. In the greatest letter, in the greatest book ever written. Sermon that I get to preach on this morning. And uh, what a thing that I get to stand here and share that with you. And I think I should pray so that I can somehow try to do justice to such a great work. Because I'm not sure that I'm the greatest preacher ever to preach the greatest chapter in the greatest book. But we'll just give it a crack. Heavenly Father, we just want to pray that you would speak through your word this morning and that you would bring to light the significance of these incredible words penned so long ago, yet still today a living word and still today your word and still today a word that you speak through by your spirit. So come and speak to us through your living word, by your spirit and just impact on us the fullness of your gospel through this scripture we pray in Jesus name. Amen. I would suggest that chapter or verse one of chapter eight is possibly the greatest verse in the greatest chapter in the greatest letter in the greatest book ever written. Who loves Romans chapter eight? Who thought to themselves when Romans chapter eight came along? I love Romans chapter eight. Yeah. Yeah, Someone said to me, in fact, Andy Wishart said to me, I love Romans chapter 8. He said, this used to be my favorite chapter. I don't know what else took its place, but it was, uh, it was up there. And uh, I got to say that if I could just stand here this morning and just say to you over and over again, 20, 30 times, therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. If I just repeated that over and over and then said, amen, I feel like a good word would have been spoken this morning. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Why don't you do something we don't turn to do very often? Turn to the person next to you and say to them, no condemnation. No condemnation. And then you can respond to that person and say, Not one bit. There is, there is, for those who are in Christ Jesus, there is no condemnation. There is not a little bit of condemnation. There is not condemnation may be possibly depending on circumstances in your life there is not the possibility of condemnation depending on how your week went last week there is not the chance of condemnation depending on what happens to you this week and what you get up to there is not the option of condemnation there is not the slightest remnant of condemnation there is no clause there is no fine print to this verse it is not a case of, there is no, you know, you get insurance policy and it says your house is insured. But then you read the fine print, uh, except in these circumstances, which is pretty much anything actually happening to your house. You know, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit has set you free from the law of sin and death. Full stop. Amen. End of sermon. That's it. Well, it's not the end of the sermon, but I probably shouldn't have said that bit. (laughs) Because there is more. And I just want to preach for a while on really those two words, no condemnation. Uh, This verse is, is... so important because actually the therefore is, is not just a reference to the previous few verses or the previous chapter, but almost really the whole of chapter one through the end of chapter seven, the whole of everything that Paul has presented in this incredible letter, the, the book of Romans. It is all really captured and summarized in that one verse. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And I must say that I had to ask myself. No, I didn't ask myself. I asked God uh, this week. I said, God, why am I preaching this on a long weekend? Because I know that there's like, you know, there's people here, there and everywhere on the long weekend. And so uh, to be quite serious with you, more people hear the messages that we preach here on podcast than they do in the room. Do you know that? A lot more hear them on podcast. So I prayed this week, for the people who are hearing this message right now, and, and I'm going to talk to those people, that you're, you're walking the dog right now. For the people in the room, this is weird. Uh, or or you're, you're going to work right now, you're driving in your car or you're on the bus or you're going jogging and you're hearing this message. And I have prayed for you who hear this message, that this message of no condemnation would reach you because it is such a powerful message and so important. And I've also prayed for you who have actually bothered to come this morning and actually hear it in the room. And for those who are hearing it on podcast, what you miss out on in not being here is worship and community and the people of God being together. And that is something that is invaluable. So you have to come next week. <laughs> um, So I prayed, no condemnation, no sweeter words, no more freeing words, no more liberating words than to hear that we are are not condemned. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. You know, so many people struggle to take hold of that. So many people deep down struggle to accept in their hearts 100% that there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So many people who have done so many Bible studies, who have heard so many sermons, who have read the Bible scriptures that tell of the gospel message so many times. But there is something that makes it very difficult in our hearts to truly 100% accept the reality that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. I caught up with someone. uh, I don't know if I shared. I think I shared this in the night service. I went to a party a few weeks ago, and and someone came in who I hadn't seen for a few years. They used to go to my old church, and straight away, this happens to pastors. Sometimes they started bailing me up about their their life story and their faith and where it's at, and person like very first thing like walks in the party says g'day mark i've got to tell you i haven't been to church for a few years now and the reason i haven't been to church is because i had a business partner who i was meant to be a christian and he uh ripped off ripped me off in my business and cost me a huge amount of money and now i can't forgive that person and because i can't forgive that person i can't walk into a church so i haven't been going to church because i would be a hypocrite to go to church Someone else says to me um, just a week ago, uh, well, I'm, I was thinking of preaching, but I can't preach until I can live it. And so until I can live it and, and, and be living it out, and then I shouldn't get up and preach. And while I, uh, I respect the sincerity of the two people who, who are in those situations in wanting to have a life that is authentic before they stand up and preach, I think to myself, do you know what? If I had to preach and hit sinless perfection before I stood up and preach, I would not be up here very often. If it was based on my holiness and my uh, self-righteousness, I wouldn't get one word out. I wouldn't take one step forward. I only preach the gospel from the front because there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus because without that am i a hypocrite do i practice always what i preach yes and no are the answers yes to the first one no to the second i come and proclaim that we should live a certain way and then i go home and i don't live that perfectly in fact i live it very imperfectly i i understand what the apostle paul says in chapter 7 when he says uh, he speaks about struggling with sin and he says I do not go and do the things that I want to do and the things that I don't want to do, those I go and do. And as a preacher, I have to stand up here and live with the reality that I preach stuff that I don't always practice. Because there's times when, as Paul struggled with sin, when uh, the things that I don't want to do, I do, and the things that I do want to do, I don't do, and that, that that whole scripture that's very hard to get out Um, that's my story I preach to you because there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus is anyone in the same boat as me you know we uh, we come into church and and obviously we want to we want to speak graciously and we want to appear loving and we want to appear to be uh, uh, following God with our lives and I think there's an authenticity in this church but obviously we do put on our best, our Sunday best. There's no doubt about that. We don't sort of come in showing our Monday worst. Um, but we also know this reality that um, if, our, if our lives were put on the screen, if we could just, all of us, uh, one after the other, our lives were put up on the screen and our, our thoughts were put up and played out on the screen and our, our worst most sinful moments were, were put on display. There, there would be reason for us to have a deep shame. We would just be like, that would be just terrible, wouldn't it? That's just me. Uh, uh, we, it would not be good. It would not be good. And Romans 1 to 2, because Romans 8, 1 is summarizing this whole thing. Romans 1 to 2 explains this. It, goes, it tells us how many people throughout all of human history are righteous in their own righteousness. And how many are righteous? None. It says there is no one is righteous, not even one. Uh, there is no one who understands. There is no one who seeks God. All have turned away. They have t- together become worthless and we stand under the judgment of God. Romans 1 to 2 spells out to us so Profoundly and so, uh, just you know, black and white. And then Romans 3 to 6, Paul starts to bring out this incredibly beautiful picture of justification by faith, how Jesus deals with our sin on the cross of Calvary and conquers death in his resurrection. And by faith, we are united with Jesus in his death and in his resurrection. And he deals with our sin and we reap the rewards of forgiveness simply by faith. Romans 6 says, we're no longer slaves. We've been set free. Sin is no longer our master. And so, uh, but then Romans 7 comes along. Romans 7, as I've just been talking about, Paul then talks even, uh, depends how we understand this, but if we understand it, that he's speaking as a Christian, he's saying even as a Christian, we still struggle with sin. But Romans 8 comes along and says, hey, despite of all of that, despite of what's gone before we become Christian, despite the struggle after, uh, it doesn't change the simple fact that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Do you know, I'm sure you do know, the Apostle Paul's story. He's got quite a story. We've all got quite a story. But he's got quite a story. He's got a real story. The Apostle Paul spent his time... After the church was founded, uh, he, he took upon himself, really, it seemed to be the guy who just wanted to basically shut down Christianity. And he did that by travelling around from place to place. And it says he persecuted the church and he, he arrested Christians. And, uh, and he was there at the stoning of Stephen when Stephen became the first martyr and was killed for his faith. And, and Paul, who was then called Saul... He, uh, he was there and he holding the cloaks of those who were carrying that out. We don't grasp how, how brutal was Paul's actions. I mean, this is literally a picture of local house churches. Maybe you're meeting in your home group and you can just picture what that's like. You're sitting there having your coffee and you've got your Bible and you're talking about faith and and then the Apostle Paul comes in with some Roman soldiers and they burst in and they start grabbing people. They're ripping people away. The kids are coming out because the kids are part of it. They're grabbing onto the legs of their mother or their father as they're being dragged out of their house by soldiers. That is what was happening. That is what Paul did. And then Paul, did to sort of put the the cherry on top of the cake, he's there when Stephen is stoned to death. And that is a picture of a guy who's in a corner as guys are hurt as the mob, you know, they turn into a mob and they are hurling rocks that slowly begin to break the bones and pierce the flesh until he is uh, knocked unconscious by a rock and he is just then, his body is just beaten. This is the apostle, this is the writer who, because of the grace of God, can stand and say, for me and for you and for everyone in Christ, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. If the apostle Paul can say it, you can say it. Because it's not about you, it's about what Jesus has done in you. And in the future, we know that we, along with all people, will stand before the judgment of God. We will stand and we will be judged. Not according to, uh, thankfully, our sin, but, but the, the, Jesus, the, the blood of Jesus will cover for us. And the words will be stated out, There is no condemnation now for those who are in Christ Jesus. And we struggle to hear that. Some of us in our childhood have grown up with words of condemnation spoken over us. You've had words of condemnation spoken over you. You are, you are hopeless. You are bad. You are, you know, you, you, you're going to grow up to be just like your father or just like your mother. Some of us have words of condemnation spoken over us that seem to influence and, and it's just very hard for us to break free of those words. And some of us find it hard to accept Romans eight verse one because uh, because of the accusations of Satan, because we've got a an accuser. There is an accuser out there and a deceiver, and he wants to put in the he wants to put the needle in. Oh, you think you think there's no condemnation for you? Well, come on. What about this? What about that? And Satan will want us not to be able to live in the freedom and the joy of this verse he want to say that's not you you, that's not you know that's you everyone else but you're different you're different you know you know the stuff who wanted he want to take us away from the gospel and bring it back to being about whether we've been obedient or not and the other thing was i think another reason people struggle to accept this it's because there's actually quite a lot of christians in churches who actually just don't know the gospel They just don't really know the gospel. And so we are given this verse, and I have just hopefully preached on this enough now that you've captured it, (laughs) that there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because through Christ Jesus, the law of the spirit of life set me free, set you free from the law of sin and death. And this should be the basis of joy in the Christian life. This should be the foundation of freedom in the Christian life. This should be the cornerstone of our confidence. Amen? Amen. Last night I, last night I uh, you know, I was at the football as I am when the Crows are playing. And it's amazing what victory, it's amazing what, victory, what impact victory has on people, you know. Victory has grown men uh, like me jumping out of our seats. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I get a bit of this going on. Um, small children as well, cheering. Obviously, little Micaiah was at the footy, he was going off. Um, you know, it makes you do crazy things. Eddie, Eddie, all this kind of stuff. <laughs> grown men behaving bizarrely because of victory, because of victory. You know, no condemnation. This should make us just live in the freedom of Jesus without a worry about what anyone else would think about how we how we live out the victory of Jesus in our life. Um, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. The woman who came to Jesus and she starts, she's, she's weeping and she's, she's, she's sort of got her hair and she's wiping Jesus feet with her hair as a as tears wet Jesus feet and the the apostle uh, not the apostle the Pharisees there he's like Jesus what are you doing you know what are you this woman's a sinner and and you should know this and Jesus says you know whoever has been forgiven little loves little whoever has been forgiven little loves little but those who have been forgiven much they love much we have all been forgiven much and uh and there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. All right, that's the end of verse 1. I've only got 16 verses to go. Yeah, people aren't finding that funny. Um, was like, But it's a long weekend, hey? we got tomorrow off. We can just preach right through. Um, all right, um, let me, let's go. Let's go. What, is, what does the rest say? We're going to go through this rather quickly. Um, uh, I've got to find this. Romans, uh, there's a second part, which is the remainder of this whole passage, uh, which is, uh, as uh, we spoke about it, as Kath mentioned, is, is all about the Spirit. It's all about the Spirit. Most of this chapter is about the Spirit. So here's the interesting thing. Uh, in the first seven chapters of Romans, the Spirit is mentioned twice. Twice. In the first seven chapters, the Holy Spirit appears twice. In the first 17 verses of chapter 8, the Holy Spirit appears 15 times. Which is interesting. The thing I want to say about this is that Romans uh, chapter 1 to 7, you could read that and it would appear that the, that the, the book of Romans, that the, the gospel is about the Father and the Son. The gospel is about the, the, the Father and it's about the work of Jesus. And Paul in Romans 8 brings into play the reality that the gospel is also about the Spirit. The Holy Spirit is essential to the gospel because the Holy Spirit is at work in us, drawing us and convicting us of sin and drawing us to Jesus. The Holy Spirit begins to be at work in us, leading us to know Jesus. The Holy Spirit's at work in our salvation. And then after we have been saved, it's the Holy Spirit that makes real to us the reality of Jesus and brings a transformation in our life. So the gospel is not just about the Father and the Son. The gospel is about the Spirit. And so uh, in Romans 1-7, to you would think that the cross, the, the, message, of the it's a message of the cross, the story of the cross is the story of the gospel. But actually Romans 8 brings into reality that the story of Pentecost is also the story of the gospel. How many of you know it was on Pentecost when the first, uh, you know, the gospel was preached and the church began because thousands of people came to know Jesus. It was when the spirit moved that the gospel message became real in people's hearts. And so I was thinking at the start of the week, why am I preaching this message on a long weekend uh, you know, bloody, blah blah, blah blah There'll be lots of people away and, you know, it's such a powerful message. And then I thought to myself, I'm preaching about life in the Spirit. And I thought to myself, wow, you know, I wonder when Pentecost is. I thought, because I'm a Baptist, I don't know about Pentecost. We don't follow the church calendar. So I thought, oh, yeah, it must be around, must be, maybe Pentecost is a week or two ago and we've missed it. So I looked it up. When is Pentecost? Today. Today. And so I'm complaining that God's given me this passage on life in the Spirit on June the 9th. And it happens to be that I'm preaching about the life in the Spirit and the Spirit coming in on the day when we remember that the Spirit fell at Pentecost. Oh, maybe God's, God's got it in hand after all. Awesome. The Holy Spirit is, is so central to the gospel. The gospel is profoundly Trinitarian. The gospel is the work of the Father and the Son and the Spirit and the Father, the Son and the Spirit. The, the, the God in three persons, one God, three persons is at work. It is the Spirit and the Father and the Son that has led you to know the gospel, to trust in Jesus. And now it is the Spirit and it is the Father and the Son working in your life to transform you and to change you in response to the gospel. The gospel is Trinitarian. And um, I've realized that um, there's probably way too much that I've spent on verse 1. But that's okay. I'm just going to bring this passage. Uh, verse Verse 2 of this, I'll just highlight verse 2 and 3 really quickly, and then I'm going to summarize the rest even quicker. Verse 2 says, "Um, Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit set me free from the law of sin and death. Now, I don't know if anyone has got an NLT version in front of them, the New Living Translation. New Living Translation says it slightly differently, and I I don't have it in front of me, so I guess I do. Uh, The New Living Translation says this. So now there is, uh, because you belong to Him, The power of the life-giving Spirit has freed you from the power of sin that leads to death. So it's actually, the NLT is actually interpreting what's actually being said here. And what's being said is that uh, the power of the Spirit of life has set you free from the power of sin and death. So sin has a power, but then what it's saying is a greater power has come. It goes on to say in verse three, for what the law was powerless to do and it was weakened by the sinful nature, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful man to be a sin offering. And so he condemns sin in sinful man. So, uh, so there's no condemnation for us who are in Christ Jesus, but there is still a condemnation that happens not of us, but of sin in us. This is the wonderful truth of the gospel. Rather than uh, us being condemned, the sin that was in us gets condemned and then dealt with. And so, that, so a condemnation happens, but not to us, but to the sin that was in us. It is dealt with and then the spirit comes in us and, and takes up residence. And I kind of liken it to, if I can just draw an illustration to describe uh, this whole second part of the sermon. You know, there's, uh, there's houses where squatters move in right? Someone's an owner of that house, but then someone moves into that place and they, they find it and they go, well, I'm going to take up residence here. I'm going to make this my own place. And generally they, they might trash it a little bit and you know, they don't treat it very well, but they kind of claim it. And then, then sometimes, I don't know if you've heard stories about where an owner's trying to get their own house back, and the squatters are refusing to leave. Or maybe someone's being a renter and then they stop paying rent and then they there's this crazy dilemma where it's actually very hard to get someone out of a house that they've sort of taken ownership of. You heard stories about that? Yeah, it, it happens. It's a weird thing. And so what this passage is sort of saying is that, uh, you know, we, would, we were created, uh, you know, in God's image. Originally, the design was that we would be... Uh, you know, children of God, we would be in relationship with God, but uh, we were born under Adam, under sin, and so actually uh, sin took residence in our life, from, in fact, from the very start, because we were born under, under Adam, and a part of our DNA, our spiritual DNA, was uh, propensity and, and, and sinful nature, so we've we're sort of got this sin occupying the house, but it doesn't really belong there, because we're actually God's creation, but sin takes residence, and the message of the gospel is that this power of sin gets done away with and a new power, a greater power, the Spirit comes and cleanses out the house and the Spirit comes and fills us. Of course, if you, if you know what I'm, where I'm coming from, this isn't my story. This is uh, the analogy that we're given in the Scripture. Our body is the temple of God. And the Holy Spirit comes and takes up residence. And it's a, it's a link back to an Old Testament story about when the temple was dedicated to God and they built the temple in Jerusalem and they had this dedication time and then what happened is the presence of God then came and was like and God came and inhabited his temple but now the temple of God is us our body is the temple of God the scripture says. And what happens is the spirit of God now comes when we become a believer and it comes and dwells in us and fills us. And we have the spirit living in us. And now we live according to the spirit, not according to the sinful nature. This passage goes on to really draw out a comparison between the sinful nature and those who live according to the spirit. This is the comparison. Verse 1 to 4, it says those who live according to the sinful nature are condemned by the law. Those who live according to the spirit are set free from the law. Verse 5, those who live according to the sinful nature have their minds set on what the flesh desires, but those who live according to the spirit have their minds set on what the spirit desires. Those who live according to the sinful nature their minds are, are dead or they're death. But those who live according to the Spirit, their minds are life and peace. Those who live according to the sinful nature are hostile to God. Sometimes we, I see the media and I see people who are hostile to God. And I think, why are they so hostile to God? It just seems like what is the, what is the cause of the opposition? To, to Christianity. Like why so, so much venom from some people towards Christians and the church and God? What is that? Well, it's just what it is. The Bible says, Those who live according to the sinful nature are hostile to God, but those who live according to the Spirit are children of God. Uh, those who live according to the sinful nature do not and cannot submit to God. Those who live according to the Spirit are Children of God. And so we have an obligation, an obligation uh, to live according to the Spirit, to partner with the Spirit, to invite the Spirit in. As Christians, our life is not merely having been freed from sin, we are not merely given words to follow that we seek to then follow in our own strength. We are invited into a relationship where the Spirit, God himself, comes and dwells within us and makes real to us the reality of God's presence with us. And we are invited into a beautiful, intimate relationship with God. To walk with God, to know God, to be filled with God. So yes, we're seeking to follow the word and to be obedient to God, but we do that not in our own strength, but by daily inviting God in and living in the intimacy with God. An intimacy that's so wonderful that Paul concludes this passage by saying this, For you did not receive a spirit that makes you a slave again to fear, but you received the spirit of sonship. And by him we cry, what? Abba Father, Abba Father, which as you may well know, is the most affectionate, simple term that a child would use to show their trusting love of their father um, in Jesus' day. It's it's a terminology of, uh, you know... um, it's it's the, it's the term dad rather than father. You know, I don't address my dad say, Hello, father. How are you, father? I, I say... I, actually, my daughter says that all the time. She says, <laughs> She says, Good morning, father. And I say, Good morning, daughter. Uh, that's how we relate to each other. No. <laughs> there, there's an affection in that, though. It's, anyway. Totally misses the analogy. Um, um, she literally writes birthday cards love your daughters love zoe brackets your daughter Um, but there's there's that intimacy the intimacy in jesus time is the term abba abba father god has put his spirit in our hearts our faith religion is about trying to follow laws religion is about trying to follow laws Christianity is about the Spirit indwelling, the Spirit coming, and the Spirit brings us the reality of God's presence with us, the reality that we are children of God, the reality that we have a loving Father. You hear that, and if you've been in the church, you might have come to just assume that that is so normal and ordinary and plain and regular. To me, Let me tell you, uh, if I might say this, to a Muslim who hears that there is a loving father, that God is a loving father. That is, that is a message they have not heard. To, to someone who, who views religion as following rules, and then they hear that, that there is a message about a loving father, and about God's presence in dwelling, and about God coming and an and in intimacy of relationship. It is a wonderful message. Wonderful message. I'm going to ask our band to come up because I'm going to finish up here. By the Spirit, we cry, Abba Father. God is not to be feared. God is a loving Father, and the Spirit reveals this to us. So, let me finish by reminding you, and I hope you've got this. I really hope you've got this. Therefore, there is now, what is there? No condemnation. How much condemnation? None. Not a bit. Not a scarec. It doesn't matter what happens this week. It doesn't matter what happened last week. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. The sinful nature has been removed from your house and the Spirit has come to indwell. And now a whole new relationship has been made real to you. God is your Abba father i don't know i hope i've captured it in some form because it's a great chapter let's pray together you've been listening to a sermon from hills baptist church to find out more or to hear other great content find us at hillsbaptist.com or on your podcast app